Hi there, free moms, and welcome to today's show. I'm very excited about our conversation today because it's about one of my most favorite topics, food. Back when I was in school, lunch was a bit of a free-for-all. I was lucky enough to have parents who educated us pretty diligently on making good food choices. But sometimes those crunchy, salty French fries with thick chocolate milk were just too good to pass up. There wasn't much thought put into nutrition in schools back then. I realize now that unless kids had parents who instilled food wisdom into their brains early, they probably didn't think twice about eating junk for meals. In fact, the freedom was kind of fun. Fast forward to 12 years ago when Michelle Obama spearheaded the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act of 2010, which allowed the USDA to radically change the way school lunch and breakfast was considered for the first time in 30 years. By changing nutrition standards and making healthy food options more widely available, food in schools finally got some of the attention that it deserved. So what's happened since then and what's going on now? What can we as moms and teachers do to support these initiatives and bring them home? Let's find out. With me today is Karen Spangler, Policy Director at National Farm to School Network, a Washington, D.C.-based nonprofit organization that works to increase access to local food and nutrition education across all 50 states. Their goal is to improve children's health strengthen family farms, and cultivate vibrant communities through a unifying focus on food. Karen, welcome to Free Mom, and thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat with us today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, I'd love to get started by having you tell us a little bit about the Farm to School Network. Yeah, thank you. So National Farm to School Network, we, as you mentioned, are a national organization with staff and partner members all across the country. So really a network of the practitioners, the champions, the advocates for farm to school work every day. So we're a hub for information about farm school activities, programs, funding sources, policies, We provide networking, so letting partners learn from the work that each of them are doing on the ground every day. And then advocacy. One of the biggest advocacy wins has been successful creation of the Farm to School Grant Program, which the federal government administers. So actually providing opportunities for funding for farm to school activities that schools and other institutions can apply for to help with their activities. So we connect people to resources, to each other, and to policy. And I can talk a little bit about what we mean by farm to school. So we define it as sort of one of three or all of three activities. So local local purchasing, local foods are purchased, promoted, served in cafeteria or snacks, that schools and students are engaging in hands-on learning through gardening and then education and especially experiential nutrition education that relate to agriculture, health, hands-on, especially hands-on activities that allow them to learn food skills. Wow. So very cool because, you know, you've got me kind of thinking when I was, when I was young again, and I don't really remember much 
food and nutrition education. Like I remember the pyramid, which is clearly very out of date. And like I said, you know, people weren't really paying attention to what you were eating. Um, so, you know, it's, this isn't just obviously about nutrition and or what's going on in the cafeteria. There's so much more to it. You mentioned some of those programs. Um, so it seems like things have changed a lot in the past 20 years in this space. Yeah, I think there's been a definite growth of interest in farm to school programs. I mean, we also know that there is work that's that's not new, right? And the idea of community coming together to feed the community, right? That school breakfast, for instance, is rooted in work that the Black Panthers did to feed their own community, right? Before school breakfast was actually something that the government took on. So we definitely are we're gratified by all of the expansion that's happened over the last, you know, 10 years, we also are always trying to keep an eye out and remember all the people who have been doing this for, for a long time. You know, I think that in terms of the, you know, healthy food awareness, in addition to what's being served, which like there has been tremendous work, tremendous strides since the passage of the healthy hunger free kids act for school nutrition directors and other child nutrition program providers to really figure out how do we get kids on board with salad bars, with reducing sodium, with trying fruits and vegetables. So that's where all of the actual like hands-on education is so important because it not only, you know, increases kids' willingness to try new foods, a variety of fruits and vegetables. There is research. I think the, like the research that I saw said that kids are actually three times more likely to triple their amount of fruit and vegetable consumption, um, which is a lot, right? (laughs) Having, having small kids ourselves, we know that trying anything, especially when it's not chips, crackers, chicken nuggets is a massive victory. So we see that these hands-on experiences help them to try different foods. The other thing that we also see, you know, beyond just what's served or the actual uh, sort of nutrition stats of what's served is like engagement with food, engagement with our food system, our agriculture system, um, starting to incorporate principles of, of food justice and equity, right? So understanding the especially racially biased like history and processes that have brought us to this point in our food system that when we talk about making healthy food choices, we're not thinking about like, there's one set of, you know, normally like sort of white dietitians who are saying, this is healthy. You need to learn how to eat it so that you can be healthier. It's about engaging with food skills, right? The skills to engage with the food behaviors that you want that are empowering and healthy for you and that can celebrate and center culturally important and relevant foods. So thinking about growing three sisters gardens or other culturally important crops for native communities, actually incorporating things like traditional foods that really celebrate and help to engage with the whole kid, the whole child and the, how that relates back to the whole community um, of how that food gets to their plate. I love that you brought that up because, it, you know, in thinking about it, obviously we have such a major problem with racial inequity in this uh, country. And I think that that is such a relevant conversation when it comes to food. 
um, you know, I'd love to kind of know a little bit more about how you guys are addressing food inclusivity. And I think that because, you know, in addition to socioeconomic factors, there are also, like you said, some really positive and also maybe not so positive um, cultural, you know, barriers and also opportunities that are, um, you know, really important for us to factor in. So can we chat a little bit more about that? Because I think that that's absolutely fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely at the center of our work. So our call to action is for 100% of communities to hold power in a racially just food system. And that's a really big goal. So it's not something that National Farm School Network is thinking that we can do on our own. It's something that we see a role for everybody in doing. But that what that means is that food is grown, distributed, prepared for the benefit of every community member and that all communities see the benefit of these wins. So, you know, especially for people of color in our country who've been historically and ongoing excluded in terms of things like Black land dispossession for farmers and producers. So shut out of USDA programs, other things that are supposed to help farmers have the resources that they need to succeed. And so, you know, it's not an accident that you might have fewer Black organic farmers or fewer successful Black farmers who are able to sell into farm-to-school markets or afford to have the scale that you would need to sell to schools because that's been, you know, something that's been set in policy. So everything that we do that we're thinking about is how do we try and dismantle these things? What are these assumptions, implicit and explicit, that we have to unpack? And that's for the bigger food system, for the example, for the example like I mentioned about Black producers' uh, land being taken, but also thinking about things that are within the school community and within the realm of dietetics or what's considered healthy or unhealthy even. We think about things as nourishing, right? That it's nourishing to kids to have greater access and engagement with whole, fresh, and unprocessed foods, and that it's also healthy for them to have their own food skills and that are important to their background and heritage and community. So really trying to think beyond like this healthy versus unhealthy binary. I'm sure that we all remember the Snackwells era of the 90s where, you know, fat is bad. And so therefore we're going to eat these like low fat cookies and that that kind of like binary thinking really leads into more buzzwords and marketing. And instead of being able to, for kids and then in their lives as adults, being able to authentically engage with um, food and food skills that are healthier for them. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because as adults, right, because of the way that we grew up in the 80s and 90s, you know, you're right, fat is like this dirty word. And so for people to even understand like healthy fats, like avocados and coconut oil and things like that, it's like, you know, kind of mind blowing for some people and then bringing it back to the kids, you know, our, I mean, I guess it's great, but our old friend Cookie Monster has really had to have quite the makeover, you know, recently. And I like the way in which you're verbalizing and communicating these things because you're right. Um, understanding how food works for your body and the way in which it can give you, you know, things like, you know, energy or, you know, sustained power and, you know, kids, especially young ones talking superhero and things like that. So I think that to be able to give them the tools of language and communication um, and as part of the education is is so important. And, you know, I've, I'm so interested in some of those uh, ways in which we communicate them and using the word nourish 
nourishing as opposed to healthy and unhealthy is is a really great step in the right direction, I think. It's so hard because, of course, we all uh, don't want to go back to, you know, days of ketchup as a vegetable um, and schools are working really, really hard um, to be able to meet the nutrition standards that are set in the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act. And those are very, you know, specific and precise about um, targets for whole grains and for for sodium and for servings of fruits and vegetables. So, you know, it's like, that's what we're striving for. We see that, especially farm school activities are a more positive way for kids to engage on these kind of issues, to get food skills and behaviors that, that do help them be healthier without, you know, trying to focus on things like weight reduction or other stuff that we know is harmful, you know, or, or a false binary about foods that are good and bad and a little bit more holistic. Well, once you start putting labels and numbers on things is when things start to get more complicated and not necessarily in a good way, um, both for kids and adults. So I think that that's important. And you had mentioned a little bit earlier about farmers, and I feel like this program for sure has a phenomenal cyclical effect for not only our children, but if our you know children in school have programs where they can get you know, better access to this healthy food. That is such a great win for farmers, which then is a great win for local communities as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I see some really cool local economic benefit here as well. Yeah, for sure. We definitely are always thinking about producers and their ability to, you know, engage with selling to farm to school markets, but also engage with kids and communities to talk about what they do. There is research in this area that has found through case studies and modeling uh, the economic benefits of creating up to 2.35 additional jobs in the community by purchasing local school foods. And that a dollar of spending in a local food economy stimulates up to $2.14 of additional spending. So that can increase, you know, depending on the state, millions of dollars of additional economic activity, which these days everyone is thinking about. I think also one of the other benefits that is probably on people's minds as well is just the resilience of our food system. We're seeing that the reliance on a hyper-efficient, consolidated food system. Over the last few years, the pandemic has shown how fragile that is and how much that relies on, on the exploitation of workers, whether it's farm workers or people within the distribution network or grocery workers or food service. All of those are so important in actually providing the food that is on our shelves, on our plates, at our farmer's markets. But when it's this consolidated, hyper-efficient system, it's not resilient. There's not a network of connections. So, you know, for instance, when schools purchase more locally, they may purchase from a few different producers or a few different distributors instead of using one single, what they call a broadline distributor who can get you like everything. What that does is that it creates, you know, more channels. And so throughout the pandemic, we, we would talk to partners who found that if they had previous channels of farm to school purchasing, you know, school food service directors were more able to reach out to a producer and say, hey, I, I need more of something, or what do you have that I could maybe use or scale up their purchasing from somebody that they bought a little bit from before. 
and avoiding, yeah, these single points of failure that we're seeing are a side effect of the consolidation of our food system and the lack of investment in individual producers and their capacity to to sell into local markets. And maybe maybe just one more thing in addition to that is that, you know, in our world these days of kind of high-flying billionaire entrepreneurs, um, you know, we have an effectively dying interest in things like farming and agriculture. And I think that for kids to be able to get that kind of access to better education and understanding of where their food is coming from, it may just give them an insight and opportunity into some different career paths that they may not have considered before, which I think is really interesting and cool. Now, I have to take a minute for a quick break here, but Free Moms, we're going to be right back with Karen Spangler from Farm to School Network very shortly, so please stay tuned. Need some help getting that business idea off the ground? WorkMa is a consulting service designed to help moms start their own small businesses. From strategic planning to marketing execution, WorkMa gives you the expertise and the resources you need to start the business you've always dreamed of. Their workshops help you develop goals, find customers, and create the tools you need to be your own boss. Break free from the nine to five. Find out more at WorkMa.com. That's W E R K. MA.com. And we're back with Karen Spangler, who is the policy director at Farm to School Network, a nonprofit organization that is working towards a future where farm to school programs are an essential component of strong and local food systems right here in the U.S. Now, Karen, we talked a lot about kind of programming in schools, which of course is no surprise, but there's a component of food education that well and truly lives at home. And I wanted to find out a little bit more about what parents can do to support some of the conversations that we've talked about so far today. Here, you know, at my house, we have our own tiny garden, and I don't think it's a coincidence that my three-year-old son loves the the vegetables that he pulls out of the ground. The ones that we grow are his favorite. Um, so what what can mom and moms and dads do to kind of continue this conversation in the household? Yeah, for sure. Well, we have lots of curriculum resources on our website for educators, but also for parents. I think also, you know, one place that we've seen a tremendous growth in interest is what we call Farm to ECE, and that's early care and education. Kids' palates are formed very early on. um, And so we actually see that working with childcare, daycare providers, Head Start, others like that in the daycare and pre-K space, that's an area where, you know, parents can um, support those kind of activities because you have a little bit more influence than you might have on the curriculum than in a K-12 school. So I think that asking how you can support or encourage farm to ec activities for your littlest ones is a really fun way to do that. I think also there's lots of hands-on resources for food preparation. Um, So really, again, like you said, understanding moving from gardening to actually preparing food, trying food, and encouraging kids to understand, you know, what those steps are that gets the food to their plate beyond sort of just, we bought this at the store. And I think that for older kids, I think that it's also an opportunity to really engage in thinking about the um, systems that the food and the producers are operating in. So, you know, we see that a lot of people, especially teens, they are really engaged in caring about climate, food justice, racial equity, 
And that when we're thinking about, for instance, climate, like what we're eating and connecting those choices to the environmental impact, things like eating meat, but even more than that, thinking about how that meat is produced, right? Is it a smaller producer? Is it from a larger industrial source that maybe pollutes more or has worse labor practices? I think there's lots of things that we can do to think through the impact of those And then what are the ways to engage? So there are ways that kids can engage in their local communities, either politically or engaging with actual food at their school and how they might change it or support districts in making those changes. So a lot of districts increasingly are making commitments through what's called the Good Food Purchasing Program. So that's an example of schools or institutions, it's open to all kinds of institutions, can make commitments to change their procurement to be more in line with values of animal welfare, labor equity, environmental justice and impact, you know, sustainability. And I'm going to forget all of the six values, but uh, thinking through. um, So that is another way that getting involved in the community. Older kids can also encourage those changes in procurement at the local level. I love those tips because you're right. Like food affects everyone, right? Like this is obvious. We need it to live. Um, So like you said, from the youngest of ages, it's about, you know, the simple things like, yeah, yeah. If you shop at the local grocery store, that's cool and great and okay. Bring your child along. Let them choose the vegetables. Let them talk about why they chose those vegetables. Like I, you know, I like to grocery shop with my son and, and let him get involved in every part of it. And then obviously changing it up and trying to get to, you know, do some things at your local farmer's market if you have one or your local farm if you have one. Um, And then like you said, there's, you know, what's so inspiring about the next generation coming up is that they have so much investment in kind of changing the world, much more than we ever had. And I think that there's such a great opportunity for, you know, young people to get involved in this way. And the entire food journey, it's not, food most certainly doesn't just show up on your plate. So, you know, every single thing from how foods shipped around the world effectively, you know, hurt the climate and environment and how hyper-local growing is important. I think that all of those things are ways in which we can educate kids beyond just actually eating. Um, and, and like you said, education is, is, is such a huge part of it. And, uh, I think that that, that's what really excites me about programs like this is that it's not just about the cafeteria. It's about every single way in which food is grown, developed, processed, learned about, um, and obviously eaten too, which is what makes you guys work so impressive. Um, so, you know, my next question is, is really practical, you know, for moms, teachers out there who really want to seek out resources for their school systems, like what can they do? How can they reach out? What's the What's the advocation for this, um, you know, on the state level, on the federal level? Like, what what can we do? How can we take action? How can we be a part of this? Yeah, I would say that um, it, farm school activities can look different in every place. So I think that, you know, what is right for each one will, will differ. But I think that, you know, reaching out and engaging with your school at first is particularly important because schools have a lot that is on their shoulders right now. So can that be supporting with school garden implementation? Can it be helping with applying for funding, which we know is an issue for a lot of schools? I think also another thing is that on the state level, there is a variety of farm to school legislation. Uh, We have our state farm to school policy handbook that shows options for policies that have been introduced or passed in different states. 
And those are really great options for people to be able to advocate around in their state. I would say also, especially at the federal level, any time that the opportunity to advocate for funding comes up, I'm thinking specifically about things like the Farm to School Grant Program, but also things like the level of child nutrition reimbursement or universal access to free school meals. We see that throughout the pandemic, there's been a special uh, waiver policy that was passed by Congress that's allowed schools to just serve all kids who would like a school meal. And after June 30th, that's going to go away unless Congress takes action. So we find that you know, there are millions and millions of kids who are either going to be right on the threshold or you know, whose families might not fill out the paperwork right or who are scared about the stigma of needing a school meal, who are not going to get those after June 30th if this waiver expires. So, and we find that even beyond caring about other kids, that when all kids eat, everyone is buying into and valuing the school food system and investing in it as something that is a lever for a lifetime of health for um, kids in our communities, you know, but the kids individually, and then all these benefits to producers, like I mentioned about the purchases and engagement with the local food system. So I think that there's local advocacy, there's state level advocacy, and then also on the federal level, there's a lot of need for legislators to hear from parents in particular about the support, the support that schools need and that school food and educators need right now. So be loud. That's what I, that's my advice. A hundred percent. And I think that what's another thing that's really cool about what you mentioned is that it's not, you know, the, these are things that grandparents can get involved in. Like, so, you know, so many grandparents who love to garden and do things like that. Like this isn't just on, on our free moms. This is something that I think, you know, what we're talking about here is food. Like this is, this is the most basic need in our society as, you know, as humans. Um, so this is something that we need to, like you said, be thinking about and talking about out loud um, because it needs our support. It needs our education and it needs, um, you know, to be a, a more important part of our value system here in the United States, for sure. So, I mean, this has been such a fantastic chat for me, Karen. I'm so appreciative that you took the time to talk to me today. Like, I'm so grateful for the work that you guys are doing, and I hope that it will continue to be supported even more than it already is, because every kid here in the United States should have the education, the resources, and the opportunities that they need to create these lifelong healthy food habits. Now, I know you guys have a ton of information on your website, including a state-by-state guide uh, to partner programming and how to bring farm to school to every local community, um, which we are all going to link to our show notes. But how can free moms find you? Yeah, sure thing. Our website is farmtoschool.org. Very easy. So again, I'm going to, you know, some of the things that we talked about today, I'll be sure to link in our show notes so that you listeners can access them. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. We are so excited for your future and the future of our children from the work that you do. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Our pleasure. That is it for today's show, Free Moms. Don't forget to drop us a line on our website at freemomcast.com or on Instagram at freemomcast with your feedback, show ideas, and any questions you have for our guests. Until then, it's me, Chelsea, reminding you to think out loud and keep being curious. (laughs) 